and it'll take you a while. So you know what? I'll, I'll read that in a few minutes. Uh, it's right before the New Testament, but it's still Old Testament. But if you turn to Habakkuk 2 and Proverbs 29, some very um, common scriptures as far as vision and prophecies are concerned, but we'll get to them in just a few minutes. Allow me, though, before we jump into week two here, your part in prophecy as this series is called, let me help you explain what I'm talking about when I say your part in prophecy. And I was at a conference a while ago, and the speaker spoke of the meta-narrative. Have you ever heard of that? Use meta-narrative. Uh, actually, could you put that first slide up? The word meta-narrative is quite simple. Narrative meaning story, meta meaning above. The meta-narrative is referred to a lot about God's plan for us. The story above. <laughs> the higher story. And if we wanted to call it a story, the meta-narrative, it's like God already put his book together for us, right? It's got chapters in there, right? Actually, if we break it down, the story above looks something like this. The chapters would be broken into creation, the fall, redemption, commission, and the consummation. The creation, when all things came into existence. The fall, when, you know, put man in the picture and, you know, everything falls apart. The redemption, when he sent Jesus to redeem the fallen. The commission, where Jesus says, boom, now it's your turn. And the consummation, meaning when the last chapter, when the story's over and we step into eternity. When I'm talking about your part in prophecy, where we're at right now, can you go to the next slide, is the commission part. So if we're looking at the story above, the meta narrative, your part in the prophecy falls within this commission period. Your life story is right there. Now the church has a part in that, but the church is not, we know, four walls, right? It's us. So your part in prophecy falls right there in that meta narrative, that story above. We're at the last chapter, people. We have to get busy doing our part in prophecy, not just going, oh, that prophecy was so pretty. Wasn't that wonderful? Because he commissioned us to go do something right before the last chapter. Okay, thank you. You can take that down. It's ugly. I threw that together at the last minute. Um, to help you understand that you're not some random dot in this book. That you have an extreme part to play in the prophecy, the commission before the consummation, before the end of all times. And if you're doing your part, you get to, let's just say, um, I, I want to be careful. If you're doing your part, you're doing your part. You're not uh, riding alone. You're not the Lone Ranger. You actually are a part you plug into. You become the Lone Ranger when you pull yourself out of the story and then say, well, I want to write my own life story. Well, that's about as silly as a four-year-old coming up to the parents and saying, I'll take care of my own life from here on out, okay? Sure, let's see that happen to the four-year-old, right? That's about how silly it is when you think that you have control 
really, you've got a free will. And he says, go ahead. Let's see how that works out for you. But you become a part in prophecy when you surrender your part, your puzzle piece, and say, plug it in right there, God. I know what chapter I'm in in your book. Plug me in right there so I can start doing my part in prophecy. So all that to say, now let's get into the message. The opening statement I had Pastor Denny read last week, and I'll have Pastor Neil share next week when he shares the part three of this, your part in prophecy, uh, goes like this. It's a word that God gave me I shared with the board, and I really believe that it's the whipped cream on this cappuccino that, you know, we really need to sink our, our lips into and understand what your part in prophecy really means, the importance of that. Prophecies are God's way of giving us something. He expects us to do something with it. Like the parable of the talents, to just receive something from God and then go bury it equals a wicked servant. We have to pay the price, take the risk at times, to bring that prophecy into existence. Or like in the case of the wicked servant, God will take it back. Remember that story. He'll give it to you for a while. Are you going to do something with it? And if you come back and say, oh, here's what you gave me, he will take it back. And he calls him a wicked servant. Cast him out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the quickest way to lose what we've been given is to take a defensive posture where we maintain what we have instead of working to bring an increase from it. That's your part in this prophecy. What are you going to do with it? So in Habakkuk chapter 2, I'm going to read it out of the English Standard Version. Verses 2 and 3 says, Then the Lord replied, Write down the vision, prophecy, vision, and make it plain on tablets, so that anyone who sees it may run with it. For the vision awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. So write it out. Make it plain. And I think that's what we've accomplished here. There's three overwhelming prophecies that keep repeating themselves for the church. And that's the lighthouse, the waterfall, and the dove. Denny did it. Pastor Denny did a great job sharing that prophecy of the waterfall. And how that water not only needs to come to us and refresh us and wash us from our sins, but we need to be standing in that waterfall and be refreshing to others. That's a prophecy for this body of believers, the church here. And I want to touch on part two, the lighthouse. Keep the vision before your eyes so that anyone who sees it may run with it. Vision is a very powerful, intangible. With it, men can conquer the world, but without it, man can't even conquer himself. You have to have a vision. You have to see the prophecy. You have to see the word of God and keep it before your eyes. Back in December, I came across this devotion from my utmost for his highest says, when God, by his spirit, through his word, gives you a clear vision of his will, you must walk in the light of that vision. 
even though your mind and your soul may be thrilled by it, if you don't walk in the light of it, you will sink to a level of bondage that our Lord never envisioned. Mentally disobeying the heavenly vision will make you a slave to ideas and views that are completely foreign to Jesus Christ. Don't look at someone else and say, well, if he can have those views and prosper, why can't I? You have to walk in the light of the vision that has been given to you. Don't compare yourself with others or judge them. That is between God and them. When you find that one of your favorite and strongly held views clash with the heavenly vision, do not begin to debate it. If you do, a sense of property and personal right will emerge in you, things on which Jesus placed no value. He was against these things as being the root of everything foreign to him. Our tendency is to lie back and bask in the memory of those wonderful experiences we had when God revealed that vision to us. But when God's vision is revealed to us and we don't try to step into it or even feel inclined to do our part in it, it's then that we begin to backslide. It means your conscience does not respond to the truth. You can never be the same after the unveiling of a truth. That moment marks you as one who either continues on with even more devotion as a disciple of Jesus Christ or as one who turns back as a deserter. See, it's okay once a, a vision, a prophecy has been given that you set and you just Set in God's awe, man, God, you are so good that you speak directly to me. Have you ever had God speak a word to you and you're just like dropped to your knees, weighty word? I remember the first time I really, as an adult, heard that, that voice of God. And it was right when I gave my heart back to the Lord. I moved back in with my parents. They had given my room away to some family friends that was staying with us. So I was sleeping on the couch. And I remember sitting on the couch and before you know, going to sleep, I was just like, God, just to hear your voice. Everybody talks about hearing your voice, hearing, if I could just hear your voice. And I sat there and I'm like, the pastor said I should just be quiet, but you know how hard that is for me. And so I sat there talking for a while and then I'm like, just be quiet, Brenda. And then all of a sudden this, this inner voice came over and said, I love you. That simple. And I just fell to the floor, bald like a baby. I mean, snot and drool and everything. And and then I set up, and first thing that popped in my mind was, that wasn't God. And I thought, yeah, that's true. That probably wasn't God because he knows what I've done. And then I thought, you know, I'd never say that to myself. But when that word is spoken to you, when you know that that's God and that's spoken to you, you it's okay for you to stop and, and in awe just, God, you are so good, you are so big, that you care so much. For us, that's okay. But if you stay in that position and then don't start walking in that, if I didn't start then walking in God's loves, and God, I know you love me. I can forgive myself because you forgave me. I can love myself because you love me. If I didn't start walking in that and just stayed there on the couch, God, you're so good, you're so good, I'd still be sitting there on the couch. And like the picture of the cat that I saw on Facebook the other day that was 500 pounds and, you know, 
Photoshop. It's wonderful. But anyway, that'd be me. Vision is the bridge between the present and the future. Now, God might go ahead and send you a few different other prophecies that describe the same bridge to you, maybe just from a different angle. You know, this is the bridge I want you to take. And Gosh, I hate bridges. Why do they use a bridge? I should have said something else. Anyway, this is the bridge I want you to take. This is where you're heading. This is the way you want to go. And we're like, oh, that's so wonderful, God. You are so good. That's, that's beautiful. And, ooh, that's going to be great. And then I'm still sitting there. So then he comes back, sends another word. Uh, remember that vision, that vision of that. If you look from this angle, you're going to see you're also going to do this and you're going to go over this and you're going to hit that. Oh, Lord, that's just wonderful. That's beautiful. And he's like still describing the same bridge. You, you need to go over the bridge. This is the way you have to go. Oh, God, that bridge is so beautiful. So you might get different prophecies, different words that describe the same bridge just from different angles. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. But he's not going to give you the next step of your journey until you go over that bridge. He's going to keep talking about that bridge. Sometimes I've even heard people say this. You know, I think we need to pray for another word from God. We keep hearing that same word. I wonder why. <laughs> what have we done? He's telling us to cross this bridge. Have we crossed the bridge yet? No. Then we can't pray for another. That's like, God, I don't want to do that. And he's like, who's, gonna, who's bigger, me or you? Who do you think is going to win this argument? You know, you have to go over the bridge. The, the vision is the bridge between the present and the future. Who here has heard a prophecy that has something to do with the lighthouse other than from me? See? Over and over and over again. I was blown away the first time I really shared what I saw when um, I started helping out here. A year and a half, two years ago. Um, and I saw a vision of a great big lighthouse sitting right here on the property. And when I started sharing that and then even shared it from the pulpit, other people started coming to me and they said, you would not believe how many years we've been hearing that same thing. That this church is going to be a lighthouse to the area. And it, the light's going to be like a beacon or, that will bring people in from around the world. You know, when I started coming up here, I'm not prone to visions, open visions like that. And when I drove up, and again, that was when I was just coming up here on the weekends and helping out. Um, when I got close up here to the property, I looked over and there's this huge lighthouse. And right away, it was like everything else disappeared, and it was pitch black. And I saw the beacon, the light, going around. And as it was going around, I could see the people coming all over. And as it went, people walking in this darkness, but I couldn't see them until that beacon of light went around. And as it come around this way, there was a huge campus built over here. Buildings as far as you could see in the woods that had... Um, and all I could think of was um, healing homes. And, um, uh, yeah, there, there was um, training facilities and counseling facilities. And there was horses. I mean, there was, uh, you know, there was just, it was a huge campus. 
And people were coming from all around. And as I looked, as I pulled in the drive over here, there was one of those great big arches over it. And over the arch, it said the Harbor of Hope. And as soon as I saw that, it sank in that this will be the harbor of hope that God will draw people into that will be refreshed, restored, healed, set free, delivered, and then sent out. And so when, you know, Pastor Neil and Deborah was, is God speaking anything to you? Nope. <laughs> Not me. I didn't want to be the weirdo. So every weekend I'd come, Deborah would get... You sure God's not saying something to you? You know how she can be like that. And finally, I'm like, well, I might sound crazy, but, and then I shared it with them, and they just both started laughing. They're like, we've seen the same thing. We've heard the same thing year after year. So it's one of the prophecies that's in the DNA here. So what I want to share with you today is the cornerstone vision we wrote out says, Cornerstone Assembly of God will strive to be the life-saving station of health, healthy disciples fulfilling the Great Commission. And in order to do that, we have to be a harbor of hope, preaching, teaching, and healing. So everywhere you go, we want to make sure that we put that prophecy in front of your eyes so you see it, so you go, oh, that's right, we're a lighthouse. I know what that means. When I walk out the doors, you see the words, go into all the world, preach, teach, and heal. Everywhere I go, I'm going to waterfall. I'm going to be a refreshing. I need the water of the word in me so I can go and carry the water of the word out to other people. We want to put that vision out there in front of your face so that it can constantly be simple enough for you to pick up and run with it. Do your part in the prophecy. Um, when I say life-saving station, there's a video that I've shown you before. I use it in the membership class and I want to take a couple minutes just so you can constantly be refreshed and what does it mean to be a life-saving station? So could you please show that video? On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was no more than a hut. There was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. With little to no thought for themselves, they went out day and night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with the station and give their time, money, and effort to support the work. New boats were brought in and new crews were trained. And the little life-saving station grew. Some of these new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those who were saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they began to use it sort of as a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in this club's decor, and there was a memorial lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. 
They were dirty and sick, and some of them were foreigners. The beautiful new club was in chaos. Immediately, the property committee hired someone to rig up a shower outside the club where victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. The outsiders made the life-saving station extremely dirty. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities because they felt that they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. But a small number of members insisted upon life-saving as their primary mission and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. After all, the dissenting group's members were voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. So they did. As the years went by, however, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old station. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was found. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that eastern seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters. But most of the passengers drown. We are called to be a life-saving station. And it's when the prophecy, when that vision isn't kept before your eyes, that you'll drift. See, vision is the bridge between the present and the future. If you remove that, you do. You just become a social club. And as much as I love you all, without that vision, without that prophecy, really, look at the people next to you. Would you really still be hanging out with them? Oh, there's a, when there's a common vision, a common prophecy, there's a bond of brothers. There's a cadre that's formed where you'll fight with, you'll fight for, you'll fight beside, and you'll leave no man behind. And that's what we have. When we keep that as our focus and in front of our eyes, we have a mission We've been commissioned by God. We have a purpose. We have a part in prophecy we have to play. If we're not doing our part, we will sink back into backsliding. While listening to a message this morning, I heard a word that verbalized what I've already been feeling this last year and even more so for this new year. The word was prepare for the increase. See, I, I, this whole last year, you've, some of you have heard me say, I, I feel like a pregnant mom trying to prepare the nursery, prepare the house because the baby's coming. And I couldn't figure out a nice way to say that, especially for your men. You're like, be pregnant. Yeah. But to prepare for the increase. Here's the part that I'm going to help hopefully make your butt look a little not so big. Your butt as in your excuse. Crystal, our children's interim pastor, um, fell, broke arm, heel, hospital, surgery, all that stuff. She was scrambling last night when we went up and visited her to figure out what to do for children's ministry. 
our worship pastor is back there with the children. How can we ask God for an increase when we don't even have enough workers for the few we have? Why would he bring any more? So these people are out there waiting to come in, but because we're not doing our part, he says, I can't bring them in. You're not ready. You're not preparing. You're not prepared for me to bring them in. If we've got a roster of members of 60, 65, I don't know what it is offhand, there should be 60 or 65 actively involved in ministry every week. We should have to tell somebody that, sorry, we're not going to need you for about a month, two months out because we've got so many workers and the increase isn't here yet that you only have to work at once every couple months. But we're scrambling around at the last minute all the time because you're not doing your part. Seriously, tell me a union that you can be a part of, and I'll just use union because everybody wants to unionize everything, that you don't have to pay your dues to be in, to give your vote. See, we all want our vote. We all want our opinion. But when it comes down to what if I removed that membership if you weren't doing your part? Well, you can't do that. When I was in Marshall, there was a gas station. I can't even think of the name of the gas station right now. But we went there frequently because there was a Hardee's there and it was the best chicken in town. Um, it's a holy bird right there because there wasn't a Chick-fil-A. But anyway, we could be sitting in that Hardee's, which was attached to the gas station. It was all part of the same thing. And you would hear over the intercom every so often, mega bus coming in five minutes. Prepare, people, prepare. What? And you'd see people start to scramble. Mega bus. And then five minutes later, you'd see this great big mega bus pull up. And what's 80 people? I think they can cram in there, almost 100 people, would all flood into this gas station in Hardee's at the same time. See, they've learned what we need to learn. Prepare for the increase. So right now I'm like over that loudspeaker. People, prepare for the increase. It's coming. Get busy now. God's not going to be bringing in an increase until we prepare now for the increase. You understand? Your part in prophecy is so important. Prophecy cannot be fulfilled unless you're doing your part. All right, there. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Woohoo, it's party time. But it also says, that's right, they perish. Where there's no vision. If you think you can pull yourself out of the prophecy, but still be part of the church, you might cast off restraint. You might say, I don't have to do that. You will perish. Oswald Chambers says, When we lose sight of God, we begin to be reckless. We cast off certain restraints. We cast off praying. We cast off the vision of God in little things. And we begin to act on our own initiative. 
If we are eating what we have out of our own hand, doing things on our own initiative without expecting God to come in, we are on the downward path. We have lost the vision. Is our attitude today an attitude that springs from our vision of God? Are we expecting God to do greater things than he has ever done before? Are we casting off restraint and just kicking back and relaxing? The only way to be obedient to the heavenly vision is to give our best to see God's best. And this can only be done by continually and resolutely recalling that vision, keeping it before your eyes. I am not a runner. These long runners that run through everything and keep going, that's not me. You know why? Because I want to see the end. I want to see the fit. So I can do short run. I mean, I... Back in my younger day, I, I was a little competitive, and I'd say, you know, I can run faster than you. Oh, you got short legs. That just makes them faster. And I would. I, I mean, you know, especially on the playground, buddy, you got to show up on the playground. I'd be like, I can beat you. Here to the, I can beat you. But if you put me out there in long distance running and I can't see the finish line, forget it. It's like, I don't know where the end is, so I'm done. But if I can see, if you can see that end, which we are in the final, right before the last chapter of the meta-narrative, the above the story that God's planned out for all of mankind, we can see the end. We better get busy. Dissatisfaction and discouragement are not caused by the absence of things. They're caused by the absence of vision. If you're feeling discouraged, if you're feeling dissatisfaction, it's because you've lost sight of the end. You've lost sight of the vision. The test is in the 60 seconds of every minute, the 60 minutes of every hour, the 1,440 minutes in every day. Dad had to prop me on that one, sorry. That's where the real test is. Greatness manifested in the ordinary times, not just in the exceptional times. Do you want to live a supernatural, extraordinary life for God every day? He's got to be the super in your natural. He's got to be the extra in your ordinary. Boy, that was cliche. Just kind of fit right there, though. Sorry. But that's exactly what's got to happen. When you plug in your piece of the puzzle into that meta narrative, into his story, and say, I'll take, I'll do my part in this prophecy, that's where that extra and that super come in. That's where he plugs in. Because you can walk around holding your own court saying, I've got power, power, wonder working power. He's like, Really? Because you're not plugged into me. Our light comes on when we plug into him. This church must become the harbor of hope to reach the vision of being a life-saving station of healthy disciples fulfilling the Great Commission. Everything we do must be bathed in the hope of salvation for all, the hope of restoration for all, the hope of healing for all, and the hope of discipling all. And all must be doing 
their part. And C.S. Lewis says the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If we are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, and even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. You have a part to play in this prophecy. And the lighthouse, I mean, you can go back through podcasts, you can listen online. We went through an extensive message series called The Light that, I mean, it was broke down during last Easter that talked about Jesus being the light and how we are the light bearers and how we need to guard the light and defend the light. I mean, so I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those messages. But just, I mean, small nutshell here, it, Jesus is, if you didn't know, he is the light. Steadfast, unmovable, consistent, piercing the darkness. There is no fight in that. Have you ever went over to flip on a light switch and there's a struggle? Oh, come on, light! Pierce this darkness! No, it's, it's on. There's no battle. We really battle over way too much. It's, there's no struggle. Guys are like, what are you struggling for? That's not a struggle. Just go, you know. It's on. Oh, there's the light. That's how simple this is. Jesus is the light. John 12, 46 says, Jesus said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes and trusts in me as Savior, all those who anchor their hope in me and rely on the truth of my message will not continue to live in darkness. There's no struggle, period. Boom. On, off. That's it. And we are the light bearers. When we come to God and he puts his light in us, we surrender. We put, Here's our piece of the puzzle, God. It's yours. Plug into him. Put our little electrical plug. Plug into him. We become his light bearers. And then, just like as the life-saving stations, we're called to then go out and commission, boot to our behind, out, go help those people that are trying to find their way to God. Take them by the hand and they say, hey, there's something different about you. Why, why are you shining and I'm not shining? Let me go show you the true light. And we take them back to the harbor of hope. They can get plugged in, filled, restored, hope, refreshed, and then they'll be the light bearers. Luke 12, 35 and 36 says, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you'll be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. What do you want to be found doing when Jesus returns? We're at the last page looking at the last chapter of the story. Jesus is about ready to turn that page. Any time now, God is about ready to turn that page. Jesus says, I don't even know when that's going to happen. Only God knows. And the minute he flips over that page and he's back, what do you want to be found doing? What you told, were told to do? What you were commissioned to do? Or just your own thing? I mean, I was thinking about that when I was preparing this message. 
right now we're down to two boys in the house. I love it. And one dog. Love it. But have, have you ever given a word to your kids as you're leaving the house? And then you come back and find that they didn't do that one thing you asked them to do? Mm. Then all those proverbs start flooding your mouth. Spare the rod, spoil the child. you got to use the rod of correction to beat the hell out of it. No, I mean, beat. no, not that way, but. Could you imagine? I mean, really, if you think about it, I could have left the house and said to the boys, I just let the dog outside. Make sure you let the dog inside and give her food before I get back. Real simple, right? Everything's already there. All the resources are there. The door is simple to open and shut. The food is next to the dish. Just put it in the dish. But now if I got home and as I was pulling in the driveway, I can see their lovely little faces peering out the window and looking at, oh, mom and dad are home. And they're so excited. And as we open up the garage door like they do every time we come home, they come running to us, mom, dad, and give us big hugs and kisses. Okay, they don't. I'm just, yeah. That's what I see every time. Instead of boys, are you still alive back there? But as they run to the door and they're so overwhelmed and so overjoyed to see us and we've waited for you so long and I'm so glad you we love you mom and dad and I look over and the dog's still standing outside half an icicle now and there's no food in the dog's dish. I still love my boys, right? But there's some consequences that are coming now. And as much as I love you, there's some serious consequences that are going to happen because you turned it back to the one I love. I love you, but I also love that dog. You know, I can almost hear the discourse between Jesus and the woman who said, you know, can you heal my daughter? And he says, the bread is from my children. She goes, yeah, but even the scraps are good for the dogs. He loves them. All, and I'm not calling the people outside the church dogs. Again, he loves them all. And he loves you, of course. But he asks you to go reach the rest that he loves. But if he comes back and finds that you're sitting here on your blessed assurance and wasn't reaching the other ones that he loved, there's serious consequences for that. Because he loves them just as much as he loves you. You see, your part in prophecy is not just... Oh, <laughs> I might get around to it someday after, you know. Or I'll try to schedule that in once, once a month or something to do my part in prophecy. No, this is serious, people. We don't know when that page is turning. Any moment now, in the blink of an eye, he's saying, time's up. Have you been doing what you are called to do, commissioned to do? So what's your part in this prophecy? How can you take what's been given to you, like the parable of the talent, and make an investment in that and bring a, a reward, a profit, a return upon what he's given you? He's given you. He said, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So now I give to you. Now go. Do what I've told you to do. Preach, teach, heal all. Saying, bring me a return on what I'm depositing in you. 
They're out there waiting. What's your part? So if I can have Pastor Denny come up, we're just going to close this time um, by just thinking about that. I want you to really soak in what's your part in this prophecy. What is your part? God, what are you calling me to do right now? And I want you to get very specific about this. I've had too many people not reach any goal because they set one so general. He wants me to reach the lost. Oh, do you know any lost? Oh, he wants me to reach around the world. Can you reach your neighbor? can Can you just get specific for a little bit of time here? Say, God, what's my part in prophecy? What do you want me to do? And you know what? He's like, yes, I've been waiting for them to ask. I keep showing them the bridge, but I will even put them in the car and take them across the bridge if they just get in the car. It's time for you to hail the taxi. Say, I'm ready to get in the car now, God. Take me across the bridge. I'll do it. Here's my part. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, I want you to get quiet before God. And even though I'll keep talking because I always do, I want you to settle your mind and really ask God, what's my part? What specifically can I do to begin fulfilling the prophecy of being the lighthouse, the light bearer in my house, in my school? in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in my city. Holy Spirit, just speak. Just speak. Speak right now to each and every one. Specific word. I'm sensing that some of you are are even feeling um, fear in the the idea of stepping out and sharing your faith with somebody. It's not a three-point message you have to preach on a soapbox. Unless God tells you to do that. It's living out loud. When you go to work and somebody says, Oh, my weekend was crappy. How was yours? No, it wasn't bad. Went to church on Sunday. Got a great family, friends there. Got a raise at work the other day. Wasn't that awesome? You got the same raise. Yeah, but it wasn't enough. It's good enough. Better than what it was. When you're pumping your gas and the person pulls up at the next pump, you ask, how are you doing today? Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, I had a good day too. And you just share with them. 
Or like in Missy's case, you just sit there and try to be quiet and God brings them right to her. Hey, I'm a Christian, are you? Let me tell you something. Be open to do your part in prophecy. God, what is that? And be specific. In every, in the 60 seconds of every minute, the 60 minutes of every hour, the 1,200, I don't remember. Every day, what's my part? What's my part? God, I just pray that you continue to speak to every one of us every day, every minute. That we'll continue to keep the, our focus on the prophecies that you're given to us as a church, as a body. To do our part in that. To begin to walk it out, Lord. To fulfill the commission. The great commission. To be the life-saving station that you're calling us to be. A harbor of hope to bring them in. Help us do our part, Lord. Like we do every week, we want to close out this message by giving you a time to pray at the altar. The prayer team, if you could, please come. If I could just have you stand up. I want to pray over you. And then I want to open up the altars here and the prayer team to begin praying for people. If you came sick or um, a situation that you want somebody to agree with you in prayer, you don't have to be a member here to get prayer. Prayer's free for everyone. Um, but let me just encourage you before you go if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ or if you've strayed away from your relationship and you feel like you're still one of those that are out there wandering trying to get to the light that the way's already been made for you as a matter of fact you're sitting here now all you had to do is plug in a simple prayer that just confesses God forgive me for Walking my life my way. Forgive me for all my sins. My selfish ways. God and I just surrender to you right now. The sacrifice you've already made for my life. You've already paid the penalty for all the sins that I should have to pay for. You've already paid them all. And I thank you for that. I receive your gift of salvation. A new way, a new life can begin today. And I plug in to you, God, right now. And I commit to live the rest of my life with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength for your glory, plugging in to my part in your meta-narrative, your story. Have your way, Lord. And if that was you today, if you recommitted or committed your life today for the first time or the hundredth time, we want to pray with you, so don't leave today without sharing that with somebody, one of these um, prayer altar workers or myself. Um, and we want to get you plugged in, plugged in to the body. So let me just pray for you. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these believers. Thank you for all that have come, Lord, whether they're listening now in the church or they're listening online later. And God, that you would just begin blessing, speaking, directing. Help us to hear your voice and keep our focus on you, God, to accomplish all that you have destined for us to do in this commission, this great commission time. Thank you, Lord. And now if you need prayer, please come on up. We're not going to run out the doors. 
spend time in prayer.